It's time to hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you. It's time to hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you. Sometimes hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you. You're listening to the Noise Cancelling Pod, the podcast about streamlining life, encouraging discourse, and maximizing your mind. Hosted by Frank Boyce and Axel Clark. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Noise Cancelling Pod. This is episode 48, and I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. We're glad to have you back. It's It's been a while. We were reviewing what we talked about last time, and it's been another six months. So, <laughs> Axel, how are you doing? Pretty good. It's been six months. It feels like a year, but we're we're gonna get you caught up from the last episode. That's exactly right. Now, Axel and I, I will say, rarely do we talk in between episodes, but we have caught up a few times in between. So it, it hasn't been quite as long for us, but we're we're excited to get everyone back on track. So one of the things we talked about last time, Axel, was your virtual conference in August. You were a little nervous about how it was going to go. Can you can you tell us how it went and any big takeaways that you might have learned from that? Yeah, I think the the big takeaways we had is we tried to do some audience interaction so that it wasn't just sitting there in front of the the um, Zoom or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we had some polls. Uh, we also had some music in between the sessions. And the other big thing at the end that was kind of a last minute thing, but I thought it worked nicely was during the breaks we put up a slide that said like when we're coming back and what's next so mm-hmm. if someone happened to step away and come back like they knew where we're at in the process uh, yeah. but overall overall i thought it went well we tried to get like the chat going and it kind of worked i had some people we we joked because so it's government zoom you know like mm-hmm. gov zoom and yeah. i joked that that we had what we called the hype crew and so they were responsible for like getting people hyped up in the chat. And so they were like using all these emojis and all this stuff. And so I was joking with someone that we broke the record for the most emojis on a zoom.gov um, conference session, which is definitely true. So that was kind of fun. So ultimately we got, we got good feedback. I think it's not as good as a regular conference, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has to be really hard to get that same level of interaction. <clears throat> Um, I like that idea of putting up some sort of music and slides because I've come back on like really like all day trainings and there's just nobody there and you're like, uh, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> it just disappeared. No. And then we also, I, I maybe we mentioned this on this, on the, the previous episode, but so the original format of this conference was a conference on the first day and then the second day was a golf tournament. And so we were trying to figure out something to replace the golf tournament. So we ended up doing a virtual escape room oh, event. I think, yeah. How did that go? It, well, the only problem was it, it was kind of a long day already. So I think people didn't really want to join. But ultimately, we had like decent participation. And it was actually pretty fun. And you had to work together. The person kind of guided you through the... Um, like the screens if you will and then you had to solve these puzzles so it was pretty good for a virtual escape room and 
people had fun. You got to see who the the competitive people were and who the problem solvers were. So ultimately the virtual escape room, I think the only downside was that it was at the very end of a long day. So if we would have ended the conference a little earlier and it was part of the actual like regular day, I think that would have mm -hmm. been better. But ultimately the virtual escape room worked out pretty well. Did you feel like the virtual conference was more tiring or less tiring to be a part of? Well, I was hosting it in a way, so I think it, I think it was less it was less stressful than a real conference for sure because all the in person things of we didn't have, first of all we didn't have a whole lot of technical issues so mm -hmm. that was a big bonus but all the in person issues of people can't find the location and all that stuff we didn't have a whole lot of that so I ultimately felt like and I had a great team like. Some people wanted to run their own slides and they couldn't figure out how to run the slides themselves. So I had, but my slide master, uh, mm. he had been prepared and so he had everyone's slides ready to go. So we could, we like were able to adjust and he put the, the slides up for everyone. So uh, ultimately it ended up going well. So I think as, a, as an organizer, it was probably easier than in person. Yeah. Well, that was what I was thinking because as a, as a participant, I, I feel like I'm, so much more exhausted by you know an all-day virtual conference versus being in person because like an in-person conference you know we'll you know at our big national conferences for my company we'll start at we'll have breakfast at like seven thirty in the morning and you know end with this big dinner or party that goes till midnight and it's like because there's been all this interaction and just kind of getting energy from ideas and meeting all these all the people that you don't see during the year you know like it doesn't feel like such a long day but when you're on a zoom call for eight hours you're just like oh I'm so i'm so exhausted yeah well so i have a different experience recently of a series of workshops that i was taking and it was hosted by multiple people so the first day was like your typical workshop where it's just death by PowerPoint. And so I feel like most people in those cases, you have it on, but you're like checking email and doing other work like that. And you don't probably don't get a whole lot out of it. So that was the first day. And then the second day, so I was expecting more of the same. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get on and the, and the woman's like, okay, we do video on everyone's video on and i don't even think she wanted you to put your mute on she she's like no video on and no and you got to be off mute <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh this is intense and then so everyone had to introduce themselves and it was very interactive and the, we even had these breakout sessions where you would they would give you a little project and so then you'd break off into your team of four and work on these little side projects as a team and that one was very engaging but that one was completely exhausting by the end i was just it was intense but it was i got the absolute most out of it uh compared to the other one but it was super intense but that woman knew how to run a virtual workshop uh in yeah. a way that that had people engaged that's that's really interesting i do think there is something weird about having to pay attention on screen for a very long time I don't, I don't know what it is but it it is it's a different level of you know what i mean like it's not a lot of energy that you have to exert but for whatever reason that attention takes a lot out of you yeah yeah definitely so any other big takeaways any um any interesting feedback from people after the conference 
So we did a poll of should this be virtual moving forward or in person? And I was expecting it to be overwhelmingly in person. And it was actually overwhelmingly virtual. Interesting. So, and maybe that's because more people were able to attend because it was virtual. But that was a surprising result. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that is, it has been an interesting shift where lots of people who I would think in my team and organization would prefer to be back in person really have preferred being remote yeah five days a week yeah and the other thing that we got was we our speaker lineup was really really good because it was virtual so they didn't have to fly to the event so that was one other bonus of the virtual event is our speaker lineup was incredible that's a really good point i hadn't i hadn't really thought about that for you know larger conferences especially with who you're dealing with people that are traveling a lot yeah that's cool so are you in charge of it next year no the great thing is i was just talking about this for this upcoming year and i'm passing it off to the the other new guy who arrived this last summer so i'm very excited to get him up to speed on the lessons learned and then also let him know that probably it's going to be in person and so most likely a lot more work but I'm definitely here to advise him and provide lessons learned. Yeah, make sure that I feel like the worst of all scenarios for him is to be both in person and remote. Oh, geez. <laughs> so he has to oh, my organize the yeah. logistics on both ends. Oh, he probably is going to have to do that. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, he's going to have to do both. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, lucky you dodged that one. So, one of the other things we talked about last time. What was what was the thing you were reading? It was like ship in six weeks. Yeah, I think I was, yeah I was read I read that, and I was looking into options for like a second income or some other side project. Yeah. Uh, so I've got to update later for that. Okay. Like a lengthy update on the results of all of that effort. I'm excited to hear about that and how that project went. So. I have big news. I mean, we didn't talk about this before because I wanted to hold it for the podcast, but, you know, I was really doing some soul searching to figure out, you know, what what new hobby could I pick up in 2022, and uh, I've decided on tea making. Tea making? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, buying lots of bulk ingredients for teas and then making my own blends and reviewing them potentially on my tea blog do you have a tea blog i do not yet but yeah the, we're we're at the very we're I, at the the very starting point you don't even understand how excited i am about this concept my so i don't, I don't know how my, far it's gonna go well my like my next update is going to be somewhat related to this. So I think some of the lessons learned that I have are going to carry over to this project of yours. I, I love that. I love the, the synergy of that. But yeah, I don't know. So the one of the new things I instituted at the beginning of the year was to scale back caffeine. And so I went to just a single cup of green tea in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of amazed at my, not necessarily like the results in the morning because I think it's it's about the same as when I have coffee, but it's really that the afternoon is so different now that I uh, that I don't need 
an additional jolt of caffeine. Like I don't, I'll still every once in a while, like around four thirty or five, like start getting tired. But there's none of the like afternoon lag that wow I had when I was like drinking like probably three hundred milligrams of caffeine a day. Is your plan for the tea? Are you going to make your own tea, or are you just trying different types of tea and then maybe mixing them together? So. I'm buying a bunch of different types of single origin teas. So mm-hmm. some white teas, a couple black teas, a pu'er tea, um, uh, a couple other specialty teas from around the world, but they're just like just the leaves of tea. And then mm-hmm. I'm also buying a lot of other things to add to it, like grapefruit peel, orange peel, um, ginger, uh, turmeric, a, a bunch of other things where I'm I'm gonna kind of run the full gambit of you know what is my favorite morning tea what is my favorite evening tea you know what sort of additional health benefits can I have in a glass of tea whether it's you know for antioxidants or anti-inflammatory or even putting in seeing how much collagen I can get in a tea bag mm. um, to to actually get like a breakfast like a breakfast tea in a single cup yeah did you know so, that the 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 bulletproof coffee guy I'm pretty sure originally came up with that concept because I can't remember where the location is but somewhere they drink butter in their tea and yep. so I think it's Nepal thing. actually yeah yeah I think yeah you're right hmm. yeah. and so I went down a tea deep dive many years ago and the one thing I remember is that the different types of tea should be I guess steeped is the word at different temperatures of water, and so I think most people just boil the water and throw it in there. But it's my understanding that particularly green tea should not be steeped at a boiling temperature. It needs to be like one seventy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it burns it. Yeah, and I think white tea is even cooler than that. Okay, you know, I think I think it it depends on the delicacy of the leaf, um, and also like how it's dried and rolled actually. Okay. And is your long-term plan, not long-term, but is is the idea that you're going to give like recipe, is there other people that mix their own tea and you're going to give these recipes or are you going to actually mix the tea and then maybe sell them as like little tea mixes? I think both of those things. Mm, I think, okay. I think it'll start as, you know, recipes on some sort of blog and then, you know, depending on how far I get into it, depending, I think, on how good my blends are and you know i have some different ideas of kind of combining mixology with tea making Mm -hmm. where you know you can use you know different simple syrups and tincture tinctures and you know bitters along with your tea where you know it's almost like a warm cocktail as opposed to (laughs) this sounds incredible (laughs) and to be honest like i the I just came up with this probably two days ago, so I'm I'm in the infant stage of this completely. Um, nice. Just okay. Just bought a very like a 600 page textbook on tea. So oh, no, okay, okay, nice. And my 200 dollars of tea supplies will be here later this week. Oh, sweet. So just I what? Into it. I remember I had some sort of a I can't remember how it worked, but it. Some sort of way to steep the tea that you steep, like mix it together, and then you pushed it down on the top of the cup, and like the water fell through or something. 
Mm-hmm. Do you have any special way of steeping it, or are you like the old school uh, way? As of right now, um, I'm going to do most of mine just in like a, a drawstring bag. Okay. Um, just because I, th- I think you get the most control out of that. I, I think, I mean, there's a lot of good ways to do it. And, you know, as I get into blends and as you pointed out, different teas call for different temperatures and, you know, different amounts of steeping. So I, I'm excited to get more in depth. I probably will end up buying <laughs> another $200 worth of ways to make tea as well. Yeah. Ooh, I'm excited. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, well, so, so the biggest thing, so here's what I'll say. My plan is once I get all my supplies to do a, a new blend every single day, um, take notes on like the flavors, like I'm going to taste it like I would coffee or whiskey where yeah. you know, I'm, I'm charting out what the characteristics of it that I like, what the characteristics of it that I don't like. And then, like I said, writing down recipes and kind of blogging about the experience of getting to this final recipe. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, I have I have so many uh, ideas for you um, based on my latest project. You made a note that you also want to talk about personal development. Is this part of it or is that a different topic? Well, it kind of all goes together um, because this year I felt like, you know, we talked about making smaller goals on our last episode. And I think I keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, I was talking to Katie about and like in her business, I've been encouraging her to make bigger and bigger goals. And so we were talking about like, like as you and I have many times about the value of large goals. But I, I think what I've really found this year is these little adjustments end up adding to a huge difference. So like changing my morning habit of drinking a cup of coffee, like right when I wake up. And shifting that to having a cup of tea at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, which I've already been up for two and a half hours. And just like the difference that little tiny tweak makes on the rest of my day and my attitude and my level of energy, you know, just looking for those different things, like instead of watching YouTube videos and having my coffee, like sitting down, having a cup of tea, reading something, stretching and meditating, like they're really just small things like it's not even really a goal. It's just a, a change in behavior. Um, I feel like have made a huge difference just in January so far. Yeah. I, I'm all about the, I call, I think of it like a process, like what's my daily or weekly process. Mm-hmm. And I think making small changes to your weekly process with the idea of some more long-term goal, but just making the small change on a daily or weekly basis, I think is, is very powerful. Yeah, and making those things habit, like really making it part of your routine where, yeah. you know, you talked about this with food where if if something's not there, like it, it feels feels like something's off, feels like something's missing as opposed to, you know, I, I think in some ways when you set a different goal and you're really not necessarily focused on that goal, it can at times feel good to procrastinate or, or not do it for a day. And yeah. when these things become habit, it's it just like it really throws you off when you don't do it. Yeah. There's a book called Atomic Habits that's kind of like all about how to implement this. Yeah. I read it a few years ago, but I 
remember it was very good, but then I don't remember the principles at this point. But <laughs> Atomic Habits is worth checking out if, if this topic in general is interesting to you. For sure. I, f- I feel like Katie actually might have that book. But yeah, so I mean, for me, that's really been the, the personal development in January. Small tweaks to my morning and evening routine, you know, really being um, app recommendation here, <laughs> along with book recommendation. Um, I'm not sure how new it is, but it was new to me. It's called Mad Muscles. Okay. I've never it's seen a, it. It's a workout app. Um, not, I wouldn't say like really expensive, but like more expensive than I would normally pay for a workout app, which I think has helped me help me use it more often. What's it called again? Mad Muscles. Okay. Um, <laughs> which is ridiculous, but I mean, it's, it's very tailored to what you need, um, you know, and what equipment you have and what space you have, like you can shift the workouts. But the thing I really like about it is every workout you can do it in about 25 minutes. Mm, that's, I like that. That's a good period. And so it's it's almost like I feel like the person who did this took CrossFit and was like, all right, well, how do you do CrossFit at your house and get a little bit more of the beach body involved? Like that that's what it feels like to me because it's, it's definitely focused on a balance across your body and, and balance in terms of flexibility, but it it's – focused on appearance to yeah. to be completely honest which which is good um but no i've really really enjoyed it and i think for a workout app it it does a great job whether you know you've been working out for a, a long time or if you were just starting like it it really walks you through each exercise explains how the form like the form for certain exercises is important and then you actually do the exercises with the app so it's like if you're doing 15 squats there's a video of somebody doing 15 squats and then it moves on to the next exercise yeah so i think there's something in that accountability of you know it's not just like here's a list of exercises you do today it's it's like all right now take a minute to rest and get back into it and and keep going through the whole whole routine so cool that like i said really really i'll put put a link tweaks yeah yeah I'll put a link in the show notes to Mad Muscles if people yep. want to check it out. <laughs> we'll see how mad the muscles are. Give me another couple months and I'll, yeah. I'll give you a full review. But that's, I mean, that's pretty much, that's it for me. Small, All right. small micro tweaks to my routine and going crazy on tea. Yeah, cool. All right, so my update so I th- so we mentioned that I was looking at Shipped in Six, which was a, I think it's an ebook about how to ship a project in six weeks. And I, I'm trying to remember if I actually used that, but at least at the time I was looking into a side hustle or basically yeah. like a side project. And so I don't know if I actually used that. I definitely read the principles in the book, but ultimately I decided that I wanted, I found a like a website or a person that, um, was teaching people how to do search engine optimization, SEO, and affiliate marketing. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, well, what the first thing you have to do is figure out what niche you're going to pick to write about. And you want the niche to have like some affiliate marketing officers offers. And so if you're not familiar with affiliate marketing, basically you 
like write blog posts about some other product and then if someone clicks on your link and purchases the product then the product owner um, gives you like a percentage of the of whatever the revenue is mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> so I started a site and I ultimately picked programming and like programming tools as a site to write about so I started in September and I decided that I was going to dedicate four to six months of just write on the site and then I would at that point stop and figure out what I was going to do and I was going to treat it almost like a college course mm-hmm. and that I needed to produce like at least well depending on but about like one or two articles a week and then part of that is figuring out okay so you're writing this article and I never really thought about it this way before I learned more about search engine optimization but if you're writing an article and you ultimately want people to find it either through Google or DuckDuckGo, you should think about what would that person type into Google or like a search engine to reach your article. Mm-hmm. And then once you figure out what that is, then uh, you can do some work of, okay, what are the other articles that are in the top 10 for those search terms? And you can kind of you're, you can craft your article in a way that makes it more likely that it's going to be ultimately end up in Google's top 10. Because at least before, I think it's the top 10, like that's the front page and then someone has to click next to get to the yeah. 10, to 11 and plus. So like your goal is to get top 10 mm-hmm. for articles. And so I wrote, so basically I spent six months writing on that and I ended up getting up to like 2,000 page views a month. Um which I just like pretty decent yeah. and learned a lot about like how to, how to write different types of articles because one thing that you have to do is it can't look too, like affiliate marketing people are probably, it's a lot of like review sites. So like the Mm -hmm. top 10 this, the top 10 that, but you don't want it to look like exclusively reviews because then it kind of looks spammy or, you know, it looks like an affiliate marketing site. So you ultimately want to have like, three informational articles that are in the same topic area and then like your one review article yeah. and then your information articles can like link to your review article um, but ultimately you're like you can't just write only articles that are trying to like make you money per se so I worked on writing the articles and the problem I ran into is that and I found like one good affiliate uh, link that I could add for one mm-hmm. product. And so that w- I made my decision to choose software based on that one product. And then ultimately I found like very little other ones as I kept going. And so mm-hmm. I was getting all this traffic, but I had like actually no affiliate links hardly at all in my site. Interesting. Yeah. So, so then I got to my, like the four month point in December and I was I was thinking about just abandoning the whole thing because I basically had done my four, my four months and I figured like okay well I got like decent traffic yeah. I had like a few pages that are one or two in the top ten I was getting a decent amount of Google search traffic so I felt like I had at least achieved a like moderate level of success mm-hmm. and I think this is one of my problems is I oftentimes get to like the eighty percent competency and then I like bail on it and go do something else. But that's what I was doing. So I'm like, okay, well, this kind of failed from an affiliate perspective. 
and I was trying thinking like, what am I going to do next? So I was starting to research software as a service apps, and I was going to do something completely different. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so then, my the language that I write in is Elixir, and I saw these comments of like. Well, you can't use Elixir for these software as a service apps because there's not a lot of information about X. Well, the information about X is like exactly what I'm writing, like my blog is about. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, this is kind of, then I looked around like, yeah, this is actually kind of true. There's not that much information about this certain, this type of information. And so I ultimately decided to write an ebook hmm. starting on the like January 2nd. And I, I didn't use Ship and Six. I used this different thing called the Year of Hustle, which is a twelve-week program to ship and ship some sort of an e-product. Interesting. But a lot of the the effort is writing like content, blog posts that yeah. I already had created. So basically, I had like a head start because all the content was created. All I really needed to do was turn it into a book. Mm-hmm. And, and I already had some traffic to my site and some like, I don't want to say notoriety, but like people sure. had visited my site. Yeah. So I had a little bit of an audience. And so I decided to do an ebook and I posted weekly updates on Twitter of how the ebook was going. When did you say you started it? On January 2nd. That, <laughs> the tweet that says I'm, I'm starting an ebook, which... It did not have any information about what I was exactly going to do. Yeah. I looked back; it was on January second. <laughs> and and where are we, where are you at today? So I I released it on the 29th of January. Wow, that's crazy. And, like, <clears throat> and I ultimately I thought that I was going to be able to reuse like 80 percent of my content and just mm-hmm. kind of re- tweak it, but then I ended up like changing. like the tool that I was going to use at the very beginning and the problem was like that carried through all of my articles so like Mm -hmm. the structure of my articles all stayed the same but I had to like rewrite all of them pretty much well the exception of so I had 10 chapters three of them I could reuse I thought I was going to be able to like completely reuse four of them but those had to be like basically rewritten and then there was three that are like 100% brand new content so it was like a little more of a of a lift to get all this these chapters done uh, by the end of the month, but I was able to uh, to get it published and released. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like sometimes it's easier to almost use those as a rough draft and start over than to try to like edit it into you know into this a different thing, right? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Katie and I always always talk about that in in her copywriting business. Like, if somebody has tons of changes or like wants to change like a specific section of writing, it it sometimes she's like, it would be easier for me to rewrite the entire blog mm. than to like go back and and change this and make it work for the whole piece. Got it. Yeah, interesting. So that's that still is amazing. Mm. You got all that done. How do you feel the launch is going so far? <laughs> I'm act- I'm like I'm. Very pleased with the with the launch. I I was not even sure I would sell. Well, I thought I probably would sell a couple, but I was I wasn't sure how many I was going to sell. Yeah. Um. So I offered it for pre sale, like the I released it on Saturday the twenty ninth, 
I offered it for pre-sale because I pretty much had it done, so I was confident that I would actually meet my date mm-hmm. on the Monday before that. And so during my pre-order period, which I gave like a pre-order discount, mm-hmm. I ended up—I think I ended up with sixteen sales. That's awesome. During the pre-order period, and then my actual launch day, I, I got like no sales <laughs> <laughs> because I gave a big push from on yeah. my email list of like, "Hey, one day I left a pre-order," and yeah. so. Then when the actual launch happened, I had I was like, oh my gosh, I, okay, so I hit sixteen. All right, that's like pretty good. Yeah. And then I, I don't know. Oh, then I published my. I basically took all my weekly Twitter updates and then put them into a single like thread mm-hmm. and said like, hey, the book's available. Here's a thread of my four week updates, and then here's the book and where it's available. And I'm pretty sure that is a source of a lot of traffic. Because I ended the pre-orders with 16, and now I'm up to 46 sales wow. within like, I don't know, let's see, it's the first, so I'm like yeah. a couple, three additional days. So I'm basically like one full week, well, a little over one week of it being available, and I have 46 sales. So I was hoping to get maybe over 10, so I'm, I'm like pretty yeah, pumped about Yeah, you should be the, extremely excited. That's amazing. <clears throat> and how, so, how all are you you're marketing it? It's it's linked on your website, and you've given a couple shout-outs on Twitter. Are you, are you doing anything else for marketing? Let's see. So I took – there's an attachment to it that I, I'm calling, like, the quick reference guy, guide that is just the, like, exact things that you need to do to add the tools. And so I'm giving the, the quick reference guide away for free. So on my website, if you go to it, it says, like, get the free guide. And then once you – you have to give you give the email address, and I email you the guide, and then I have some link to to the full book. In theory, which I need to still build completely, I'm supposed to have like an email sequence that's going to kind of guide you through the quick reference guide at a high level, and then at the end of that, then if I'm going to say, hey, if you want to get the the full details with step by steps, then this is here's the book um, to go through it. So that's like the long-term strategy mm-hmm. in terms of people visiting my site. Uh, let's see. And then I got a couple of Twitter, like some of my threads got reposted. So that has been helpful. And then I also recently, like for all of my articles, and this is what I was going to mention to you for your tea thing, you got to do some research to figure out which newsletters talk about tea. Mm-hmm. And so I have a process that after I publish a blog post, all of the newsletters that discuss Elixir, like I systematically submit submit my articles to all of them. So yesterday I submitted basically like my landing page to yep. all of the newsletters of like, hey, the book's out. Here's some information about it. Um, and so that's what I submitted yesterday. And I think that drove some of the traffic for the sales. So I have a lot of sales today. Um, some of that drove some sales already. Interesting. Yeah, I'm excited. I would love to get more input on the journey of tea. Um, yeah. What other recommendations you've learned from either your website or publishing the ebook now? Yeah, my. Oh, the other. Have you ever used Grammarly? Um, I I haven't. That saved me a ton of embarrassment in terms of fixing typos that I almost released in my book. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. Um, I've heard great reviews from Katie and all of her copywriting friends. Yeah, it. I so I had a there's a guy who also has a well he has an Elixir podcast and so after I started tweeting about the book me and him made contact and he offered to uh like pre-read my book and give me feedback mm-hmm. and so he read it and he gave me some like good feedback on like sec- like high level where s- sections were confusing and then I could tell he's like basically you have a bunch of typos and stuff in here but I'm not gonna fix them all for you not in a rude way but just sure. I gave it to him in a pdf because I couldn't figure out how to get it, give it to him in a way that could be like editable. Yeah. And so then I said in my intro, cause it was the last thing I did. And he's like, Hey, there's some fixes, but if you run it through Grammarly, then you'll probably find them. And I hadn't run any of my stuff through Grammarly. So I was like, well, maybe I should like download this thing and figure it out. And I put the intro through there and like fix 10 typos. Yeah. So then I was like, I need to do the, I ha- like, I have to put my, like the whole book through it. So then I ultimately ended up, reviewing the whole book through Grammarly and fixing just a ton of different typos. So anyway, nice. Grammarly, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I've like I said, I've heard great things. Um, I haven't written that much in the last few years, but that, that's a good call out. Yeah. Then one other thing that I think is interesting about this process. So I was trying to figure out what to charge for my book. And so, like you see some ebooks are like 10 bucks. I did some research and like some of the other technical books were like $40, but like to, to be fair, they were published by like legit publishing companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so I'm like, okay, 10 versus 40. And so ultimately I'm like, the thing that helped me is the roadmap that I was following. It's called like the art of hustle or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll add a link to the show notes. They suggest you sell for 49. And so I'm like, well, I'm basically just going to use this as an excuse as I don't really know what to charge. So I just charge what this, like what this lesson told me to charge. And then that's, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And now granted I had like a 10, like some discounts for the launch, but ultimately I'm like super happy that I did not charge only $10 because I've got a decent amount of sales, even with it being like 30 to $40. Yeah. So I'm satisfied with my pricing. There's like, People always say you should charge more than you think you should. So uh, I think that it definitely worked out for me. And the last thing that was interesting is I got some people who, de- like, um, I learned that, like, there's people all over the globe that are interested in Elixir. So I'm getting, mm-hmm. like, people message me from India and Brazil. And so some of, the, some of the other publishers have what they call, like, I think it's called parity purchasing power, purchase, purchasing power parity. So if you're like from another country where like the like 30 or 40 bucks is a lot more of your income, yeah. then you can message the company and they'll give you a, like a regional discount. And so I've, I implemented that based on some feedback I got some, from, from some people. And so like I feel good about that because I got some emails from people that are like, hey, I really want to buy the book, but it's a lot because I'm from uh, like a country where that's a lot of money. And I wasn't exactly sure how to like handle that, but I think that this approach is, is pretty good. Yeah, I think that's that's really nice, first of all, but I, I do think that helps marketability worldwide as well. Yeah. And I mean, the truth is my marginal cost is like zero, so Yeah. 
it's not like I'm sending like an actual book. So that's that provides opportunity to do something like this. For sure. That's awesome. Well, I'm excited to hear more about your marketing campaign and how the sales keep going and if you find find other channels to get the book on or maybe go on other podcasts to I, talk about your book. Yeah, so I think I might go on this other podcast because the, the guy runs a, um, a Elixir podcast and we had a quick call just to say hi and so he suggested that maybe I go on the podcast. So I may be going on another podcast. But the, the other... Um, yeah, so we'll see. That's awesome. Well, that, I'm excited about that. Multiple podcasts and an ebook. I mean, that's a pretty good start to the year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, see, I, I'm excited to talk to you about like some SEO angles to your T blog. And then ultimately, see, I, you could sell the pro, like the mixed product, but that, that would be interesting. So there's a lot of, areas that you can take this and so the main thing to think think about is like you once you have an audience like on your email list then Mm -hmm. the possibilities are like endless in terms of what you can potentially like sell them if if they're interested in tea and like this angle of mixing your own tea and high-end tea Mm -hmm. then like there's a lot of different possibilities once you have the audience built yeah yeah i mean i've even been like i said i'm i'm also thinking through like i feel like the basics of tea actually i'll take one more step back what you said about the 80 percent of competency was really the impetus of why i wanted to start with tea because i I was i was thinking through you know all the other things that i've tried hobby wise in the past from fitness to beer making to you know amateur scotch tasting you know really trying to understand that at a, at a at a deep level of why things taste differently you know i don't feel like i've ever gotten that past you know 80 percent. and i i feel like with tea like starting at a super basic level building up knowledge like you were saying like i think writing about it um and then starting to do my own different blends of tea and really understanding that part of tea making and then, you know, pushing it a step farther kind of into this mocktail, you know, when you're talking about SEO, maybe even like the sober lifestyle you hear a a lot about on Instagram Mm, and things like that. Like there's, there's this whole market of, of people who don't necessarily know like, well, you could actually be making like a tea cocktail, but non-alcoholic, that sort of thing. Like, I think there's just, like you said, in, a ton of different routes I can go with this and, you know, becoming much more competent and proficient and being able to write at a level of professional for tea making would be, would be kind of fun. Yeah. Well, a couple ideas. So <clears throat> you're actually at a perfect point because you're, it's helpful that for people to write as they're learning because other people who are learning, you are like one step ahead of them. The absolute experts at T are like two, like their beginner phase was so in the past that they don't know how to write to a beginner. Mm -hmm. So you're actually in a perfect phase to write about, like learning about T. So definitely take advantage of the fact that you're in this phase uh, of tea making. And then the other thing that came to mind is, I can't remember where I read it, but I read somewhere that 
like you think you've picked you think that you pick your market but actually your market picks you so you may find that as you're producing this content that you're the people all the people who read your you think it's some you have an idea that it's going to be this type of people but then once you actually start publishing and writing it's like this group of people over here who are really into your writing and like ultimately that is your audience not the audience mm-hmm. that you thought that you're writing to at the beginning for sure yeah i think that's that's why it's kind of exciting cuz it's like well maybe the recipes will be an ebook right like maybe yeah. maybe it will be actually shipping coffee or shipping tea um yeah who knows well, the, i agree the the cool thing I'm thinking about what the the similar example is, but in some ways, well, in software, there's what's called like open source software where you give away the source code for free and anyone can use it. But then there's like this way of monetizing that in that like some people don't want to run their own software. So you like you run the software for them and then they just use it as a service. So in some way, you, like your idea of having the ebook of the people who want to mix it themselves, like here's the ebook. But if you get too lazy and you just want it to be delivered, then perhaps you could like sell the product on a site and like, hey, for the people that don't want to mix it, here's the easy easy button to actually just buy the product outright. Interesting. I like that. So. We've covered a lot. I'm I'm impressed by the breadth of breadth of information that we covered tonight. Yeah, I agree. Well, it was a good. It, a lot happened. Uh, six months worth of uh, interesting things that we've been working on. So, uh, yeah, a good a good catch up episode for sure. So next time we'll chat more about the marketing of the book. Yeah, I, I will talk through where I'm at in the tea journey. Maybe even have something written by then. I mean, if it's six months from now, I hope I have a lot written. <laughs> exactly. But I think it'll be sooner than that. So I'm I'm excited to share more about my learnings and, and where it's going from here. Cool. Cool. So with that, thanks everyone for listening. I'm Frank Boyce. And I'm Axel Clark. So the take home from today was find that goal you want to reach, but then make those small habits changes every day to achieve it. Love it.